talk eight, the second essential virtue, love or charity. Charity means nothing but to love God himself above all created things and to love other human beings equally with yourself for God's sake. Charity, the queen of all virtues, without which we are in St. Paul's hymn to love, mere noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 Charity means nothing but to love God himself above all created things and to love other human beings equally with yourself for God's sake. This is what the author of the cloud says. The two points I want you to notice here. First, his definition of charity is of course based on the gospel summary of the ancient Jewish law of God. Luke 11 verse 27 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Secondly, he introduces a unique explanatory note on that gospel summary of the law of God. We are to love God, he says, above all created things. In this way, he reminds us of the crucial principle in the practice of contemplative prayer. We focus on God alone and drop everything else into the cloud of forgetting. All our thoughts, hopes, fears, and yes, even our heartfelt prayers for those we love must be put on one side. The essence of contemplative prayer is, as he reminds us, nothing but a naked intention directed towards God himself, in which there is no request or intercession for anything else, no prayer, for example, in his words, for release from pain, nor increase of reward, nor, in a word, anything but God himself. We are not to waste the precious time we have for silent meditation in thinking about or remembering anything else or anyone else. Nothing must be allowed to distract us from the work, the task of contemplating God. Only so can we begin to fulfil the first commandment in all its fullness and in its fourfold repeated emphasis with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, in short, with every ounce of our being. So then what does the cloud have to say about charity towards others? Again, his teaching relates closely to contemplative practice and is startling in its radical simplicity. The gift of contemplative prayer, he says, enables us to develop an attitude of equal regard for everyone, whether the person we meet is a relative, a friend, a total stranger, or even someone we dislike or know as hostile. He says, for all alike seem kin to him, and none seems a stranger. And it's perfectly clear that he states this not as an ideal achievable only by those who are saints, but as something that is based on his own experience. So he says, all seem his friends and none his enemies, so that for him all those who torment him and cause him distress are his particular friends. And he feels moved to desire for them as he would for the closest friend he has. In the next chapter, 25, he goes on to say that contemplative prayer may lead one to pray for a stranger or an enemy as much as for a friend or relative. Indeed, one's prayer may sometimes be even greater for an enemy or stranger than for one's friend. His advice is, of course, based on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 44. 
Our author is confident that such prayer for others may and indeed should happen when our contemplative prayer is truly centred on God, not on ourselves, not on our own needs, nor on any egotistic desires or self-justification. Anyone who lives in close company with others who are not of their choosing knows very well that living in community is a very great test of charity. As one monk once said in a humorous twinkle in his eye, life together in a religious community is wonderful. The only problem is the other monks. As our author himself explained, charity is closely connected to humility. Both virtues are contained within, quote, this little blind thrust of love when it's beating upon the dark cloud of unknowing with everything else thrust down and forgotten. Chapter 24. But we need to be clear, such all-embracing charity is never something we should make our goal in the actual practice of meditation. This should defeat the purpose of focusing our attention entirely on God. So our author neatly turns what might feel like a burdensome commandment into fruit of the Spirit. As we persevere in our meditation, as everyone from young children to mature adults usually discovers, it becomes evident, often more noticeable to others than to ourselves, that we become more kind, more patient, more loving, more gentle, more persevering, and so on. See Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. I should like to finish this final talk with some amazing and encouraging words from our author, from chapter 54. It's again on the effects, the fruits of contemplative prayer. He says confidently, drawing gain on his experience, the work of contemplation will have a favourable effect on the body as well as the soul of anyone who practices it, and make him agreeable to everyone, man or woman, who sees him. So much so, he says, that the least handsome or beautiful person will be suddenly transformed into graciousness, and thus all good people who saw them would be glad and joyful to have their company, and would find that in their presence they were very greatly comforted in spirit and helped by grace towards God. So there you have it. Genuinely contemplative prayer, he promises, become both spiritually and physically more attractive. They are a pleasure to know, their company is enjoyable, and they have the power to draw others towards the same way of prayer. That's the good news. So go for it, say your mantra, and meditate for between 20 and 30 minutes every morning and every evening. And you may prove the ancient wisdom of the cloud of unknowing to be as right now as it was when it was written.